This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Bias. It's the word of the day. It's the word of the week. It's the word of the year. It's just the evergreen word in college football. Bias. Everyone has it. Even people who cover it. I'm biased towards 47 teams and simultaneously hate those teams. Are we are we to embrace bias? Should we ignore bias? How should we handle this? This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is Tuesday and it is May 2nd, the year of our Lord 2023. We've got a wall-to-wall, jam-packed, loaded mailbag full of your questions and my answers, hopefully that appease you. I appreciate you guys always participating at Late Kick Josh on Instagram, Twitter, if you want to do this. We do it either Tuesday or Thursday. We've had a fluctuating schedule as of late, but we get it to you at some point during the week. I mentioned the dreaded B word, bias, because that's how we're going to lead off this morning's pod. Jonesboro, Georgia is where Andrew lives, and Andrew chimes in and he says, would college football benefit from media embracing bias instead of acting like they don't have connections to schools or regions? He says, I'm a big fan of the English Premier League, and most in the media are former players, and many are open about wanting their former teams to succeed. The Trent Krems of the world, formerly of the Independent. Because everything I know about the EPL essentially comes from Ted Lasso. So this is an interesting question. You know the word bias. Everyone uses it. Bias is when you're disproportionately leaning one way because you have usually an emotional attachment. If you graduated from Ohio State and then you go on to cover college football, the allegation is that you could never be fair towards Ohio State. Why? Because you graduated from Ohio State. I watched Kirk Herbstreet probably be about as professional as anyone has ever been in the history of college football. I watched Kirk Herbstreet when they would broadcast Ohio State games, when game day would go to Ohio State, or when they would talk about Ohio State. He would purposefully lean away. He would purposefully offer contrarian points of view just to overdo the fact that, hey, I'm not biased towards Ohio State, and still those people would come for him. Every time Kirk Herbstreet would sneeze, someone would say, sounded like a Buckeye sneeze to me. Get him, guys. That was message board culture. It, it was sometimes pre-Twitter culture, but it certainly became social media culture. Uh, Herb Street, I don't know if it's directly correlated, but he just said, peace, Columbus. He moved to Nashville. And um, all the while, I remember asking myself, if he didn't, if I didn't know the past, like, so I am, I'm a, a kid in the early 2000s. If I didn't know the past and I just watched his work, I never would have even sensed it. A newcomer to college football that did not know Kirk Herbstreet played at Ohio State, they would never have sensed it. So I thought he did great work, but it's the same reason when people come to me, I mean by the dozens per week, and ask, hey, who'd you root for growing up? What kind of idiot would I have to be to answer that question? And then I give you guys an answer and you don't believe it. I tell you Iowa State, and you just think, well, there's no way someone in Georgia could root for Iowa State. Well, there is a way. But the question was, 
If everyone has bias, should they just embrace it? Should people openly root for the teams that they're covering if they have bias towards that team? Or what about this? What about if you, if you graduated from Tennessee and you cover Florida? What if you graduated from Florida and you cover Tennessee? Should you have this thin layer of anti-Florida or Tennessee over your work? I don't know. I do think that sometimes it's assumed regardless. I don't think it's a bad thing, though. Uh, this is why I've never, you know, I've never really preferred one way or the other, is my answer. If you uh, hardcore root for a team, as long as you're kind of open about it, I get it. I still think you can do very, very worthwhile work. There are a lot of folks in the, the 24-7 sports network that work on the team site side of things that graduated from the schools they cover. Certainly, I think if I were to hook them up to a polygraph machine and ask, would you prefer the home team to win today? I think their answer is going to be yes. Or if it's no, I think that little pen's going to spike all over the place. Yeah, they want them to do it. As long as you're willing to be fairly critical of the program, if you're willing to ask the tough questions, um, if you're willing to offer a, a balanced counterpoint view, if, you, if you're not picking them to win every week 30 to nothing, even though they're a three-point dog, I'm fine with it. I don't care about that. But there's the other side of it, too. Uh, the, the Gary Danielson protocol, as I always call it. Gary Danielson, CBS employee, obviously, Full disclosure, I'm told I need to do that. Gary Danielson has covered the SEC for a long time now. I think that switch happened in the mid-2000s. So if you're in college right now, you've only known Gary Danielson as the color analyst on the CBS 330 game of the week on Saturday. And it seems like everyone who speaks about him has a problem. Now, there is a solid chunk of folks who have no problem with or even like Gary Danielson, but they don't speak up. So the only voices you ever hear are the voices who are anti-Gary Danielson. And everyone is anti-Gary Danielson, or everyone who is anti-Gary Danielson, is anti-Gary Danielson for the same reason. Why is it? Well, he hates my team. Well, I would contend he doesn't. I would contend he probably doesn't even care. And if he does have favoritism, it's obviously not bled through because there's no consensus out there on the one team he loves. And if you say Alabama... That's only because everyone thinks everyone in the media loves Alabama, and the reason they think it is because they speak positively about Alabama and have for a long time, but I have this crazy theory that they've spoken positively about Alabama for a long time because it happens to be the greatest dynasty in the history of college football. That's my wild theory. You rack up half a dozen national championships, people are going to tend to talk good about you. So, I listen to folks talk about Gary Danielson. I used to be a Braves, well, I still am a Braves fan, but I used to watch all the national broadcasts. You know, when the internet started to change, like I was in a perfect position. So I'm a, I'm a younger kid as the concept of message boards start to come around. And so you start to be able to interact with other people, not just at the mall, like in school, you're interacting with people online and you're, you're, trying to, you're, you're starting to find out for the first time what people from all over the, the country think about certain things. Well, naturally, I gravitated towards the college football rooms and whatnot, and I see that, or, or Major League Baseball too, I would see that everyone thinks that ESPN hates the Braves, uh, Joe Buck, Fox, they hate the Braves. And I'm like, well, first off, I fell for it. But then the more I thought about it, the more I realized, if I would just watch these guys independently, I wouldn't feel that way as much. And even if I felt that way, if I would examine it more critically, I would realize 
they're not paid to cover my team from the same approach that the late Skip Carey or Pete Van Weren, the late Pete Van Weren, uh, Joe Simpson, the late Don Simpson, those were the Braves guys back in the day. They're not paid at the national level to cover in the same manner that the home team broadcasters are. Well, you grew up on the home team broadcasters. You see those guys and hear those guys six days out of the week. Or if you're a college football fan, you listen to like back in the day in Georgia, it would have been Larry Munson or at Alabama, Eli Gold, or you can pick your, your, your hometown announcer from wherever you want to. But the point is, you would listen to them on the radio, or if you still do listen to them on the radio, that is a much different flavor as it should be than if you hear the CBS crew or the Fox crew or the ABC crew. Just because they don't fawn all over uh, your fullback picking up four yards in a first down and start talking about his hometown and, and get you caught up on what his sister just did in a recital last week doesn't mean they hate you. And also, if they point out negative things, doesn't mean they hate you, if they're true. So I've never had a problem with bias because I've never viewed it through the same lens. I, I don't constantly pick apart broadcasts. I don't pick apart articles and try and snuff it out. So I've... I've never cared about it one way or the other. I know I'm in the minority, though, because you guys ask me about the stuff all the time, and a lot of people accuse me of it. I guess the other thing I would say about bias is the reason I started to laugh at it so much is when I got into our business, I found out what it's like to be accused of biases that you don't hold. Daily, multiple times daily, people accuse me of hating a team or loving a team that I'm totally indifferent to. And whereas it used to be, I would watch someone accuse someone else of something, and I would just kind of guess whether they were right or wrong. I know me, like I know my heart, my soul, whichever, whichever portion of the body those are in. I know where the heart is, but the soul is, it could be head, could be toe, could be anywhere. I know what's in there. Like when you tell me, oh man, I could tell you're not a really big fan of Arizona State football, are you? What are you talking about? Lately, it's been Florida, obviously. I could tell you hate Florida. No, you can't because I don't. It's impossible for you to be able to tell that. So anyway, bias, not going anywhere, at least in the form of an allegation, but bias is sometimes, nay, a lot of times, overblown. Welcome in to the podcast. I'm happy to have you with us. There's been some confusion. There's been some confusion around the program, because I tell you, the Late Kick Extra podcast is audio only, which it is. But then you say, wait a minute, I see random videos from the Late Kick Extra podcast on the YouTube channel. What say you? Well, here's what I say. I would say it's like 70% audio only. In other words, if you want to get the full front to back version of the Late Kick Extra podcast, it is only available on audio. Because for example, I just, like I'm scratching my nose as we speak because it itches bad. I don't want that on video. If it were Late Kick Live, I'd have to suck it up and just wait for an hour to scratch my nose. I, I want that freedom. I want the comfort to be able to, to do some things. If I got to tell Junior Director Bradley in there, we need to pause, I have to sneeze, which is probably going to happen at some point today because allergies haven't gone anywhere. I want to be able to do that. But there are some clips that we know you would want to see, would want to put out there on video. So we do roll video on this. You can see I, I wear a different color shirt. I'm on a different set. Uh, but we do roll video. So occasionally, yeah, there, there are some sprinklings of video from the Late Kick Extra pod. But by and large, it is audio only. But I did want to address that because a lot of you asked about that. All right, let's move on. James asked, 
Who is your favorite play-by-play guy in college football? From Worcester, Massachusetts, huh? Worcester. It's a big wrestling town up there. My favorite play-by-play guy. And what James actually asked is, who would you want doing a Pate State game? Which play-by-play guy would you want doing a Pate State football game? There is, um, I know a lot of these guys, so I have, to, I have to really, really walk carefully here. There is a combination of things that I want in a play-by-play guy for college football. So intimate knowledge of the game, obvious must-have. I want you, though, to not just have the knowledge of the game, because someone could be knowledgeable about a game, but kind of be indifferent in terms of passion. You could learn a lot. I had to learn algebra. I'm very good mathematically. I learned algebra in high school and and made a, a high A in the class. I'm not passionate about algebra. If you got me to talk algebra to you, it would not sound very enthusiastic. So you need to know it, but you have to be passionate about it. And here's, I don't know how to summarize this other than to say, I want a guy who sounds like if I took the assignment from him, if I took broadcasting college football from him, it would leave a void in his life that he would really struggle to fill. Like he would fight to keep it. And not just because of the salary, he would fight to keep it because he has to have it. He has to be there. And you know who that's always been to me is Joe Tessitore. He's got an authoritative voice, a unique voice. That always helps, but God gives you that. The passion that he has, he always nails big calls. There was a stretch there, remember, where he would be doing those Thursday night games, and it was just like a given. If he's there, Vegas might as well move the line because it just dramatically ups the percentage chance that something wild's going to happen. I don't know what control he had over that. But I will say, uh, Joe Tessitore has always met all the, the parameters. He's been like where they all intersect for me. That's not to say the other guys don't have it. I'm just saying there is not a guy out there who's had it in more plentiful supply. Also, he feels authentically college football to me. Even though he's done other sports, he's done the NFL. He's always felt authentically college football to me to where, you know, there's a lot that goes into those assignments and I don't even pretend to know everything. And I'm not speaking ill of anyone else. Please don't misunderstand me. Every one of those dudes that's at the top of the broadcasting ladder has paid their dues and has, has talent in spades and has forgotten more about this than I know. But if I were to just shake up the entire world, and then I'm running my own network, and I've got an A-level broadcast, and I've got to put A-level play-by-play and color talent in the booth, man, you'd be hard-pressed to keep Joe Tessitore out of there for me. Now, I've always been a Sean McDonough guy, too. And Sean McDonough, I would listen, broadcast someone going to eat lunch. Sean McDonough was on the call. I told you I'm a Braves fan. Sean McDonough was on the call for the 1992 NLCS Game 7 between Braves and Pirates, which I think is the most legendary pair of calls in the history of baseball. For, that's me, because I'm a Braves fan. So you've got the, just the legendary, the iconic, the mythical at this point in status, skip carry call, which is safe. And then he said Braves win like 15 times, just screaming, uh, just like legendary across the South. But Sean McDonough was on the CBS play-by-play. Sean McDonough, I think, nailed it every bit as much as Skip Carey did. Uh, children, of which I was, I was a little taught too, but children out there, if you haven't heard, if you're, if you're not a Braves fan, you're not familiar with it, just go look up. Game 7, 1992 NLCS, ninth inning, Braves-Pirates. Wow. Deion Sanders is on that team, by the way. 
He is clearly visible in the dugout. Deion Sanders, well, Deion Sanders led Major League Baseball. I think it was in, man, I don't want to repeat the stat because I forgot it. I know he led the NFL in touchdown returns that year, in uh, kickoff returns for touchdowns, and he may have led in stolen bases in Major League Baseball. But anyway, he led MLB and NFL in stat categories in the same year. Yes, that happened. That's, that's not Xbox. That's real. So yeah, I am a big Joe Tessitore guy. We're not talking about color. We're talking about play-by-play. Big Joe Tessitore guy. All right, next up. Unsalted Hoagie from Bogota, Colombia. Wow, hits us up and says, if you were coming out of high school as a four or five-star recruit, would you personally go to a school with a larger NIL deal? Or would you play for your hometown team or the team you grew up loving? This is a classic conundrum. A lot of folks face this. So on one hand, you got the big NIL deal. Let's say on the other hand, I've got my hometown university, the university I grew up with posters on the wall of, I've got them offering me. Do I take the money? Do I follow my head? Or do I follow my heart? Well, I would do the third thing. Uh, The third thing was not in the question, but I'm taking some creative liberty here. I'm inserting a third option, inserting really emphasize that word for some reason. There's got to be a third option here. Because if I'm a player that's, that's worth anything, I'm going to have multiple offers, right? So let's say I've got a big NIL offer. I got my hometown school. But let's say there are three others, or at least one other school, that actually is the better fit for me. That's where I'm going. And you may say, well, Josh, yeah, that's the easy answer. That's the cop-out answer. Sometimes that's the right answer, though. Don't ever think just because there's a cop-out answer, it's not the right answer. Sometimes it is a cop-out. Other times, you need to take the cop-out. And in this case, I watch it happen all the time. So I, don't, I wouldn't say I cover recruiting. I talk recruiting sometimes, but I'm not as in the weeds. I'm not on the rankings council, but I talk to a lot of them, a lot because a lot of you listen to the show. So I'll frequently have players who ask me, like in, in DMs or sometimes in person at games, where I'm not supposed to talk to you, so don't tell anyone. But uh, they'll, they'll just ask, hey, just generally, advice on this thing or that thing. Hey, do you, do you have any opinion? And I always tell them, well, first off, have you defined what you care about? And a lot of times the answer is no. Like a lot of times you find out guys are sitting around waiting to hear what other people think they should do, and they haven't really asked themselves, okay, what are the two or three things that matter to me the most? And then if you do that, you can start prioritizing which university has those things. But I will say this now, with NIL in the equation, when, you, when you're a 10th grader, like if you're in 10th grade right now and you're watching the NIL evolution, you're probably thinking as a 10th grader, I'm going to go where I can get the most money. That's okay because you're in 10th grade. But as you get into 11th, as you get into 12th, as it becomes your recruiting cycle, you really need to, to hammer down on understanding that, yeah, the NIL package is part of what the overall value is. It is not the overall value proposition, though. How much money you can make in college. That is not A, or it's not even B. If you want to put it C or D, that's great. But you better go where you can get developed. You better go where you fit. Uh, You better go where you're going to enjoy it enough to where it's not a chore to just get out of bed every day. Because at the end of the day, yeah, you're a college athlete, And yes, it's transactional. They need a lot out of you. You're going to get a lot out of them. But you also need to remember, it's college. You get to do it once. And all these older folks around you, 
who, who always tell you, oh, college, that was the best time of my life. Oh, what I wouldn't give to go back to college. They're not all dumb. They're not all wrong. Even though you don't have the perspective they have because you're not as old as them, you're not like 55 years old. If all the old people in the room are saying the same thing, my general rule of thumb has always been, let me shut up and listen to them for a second. Rarely are all of the elderly folks around you going to be wrong. So my point there is, go somewhere where you're going to enjoy it and you can get developed and it's a fit for you based on what matters to you the most. And then, and only then, should you be thinking about how many dollars am I going to get in my pocket per month? Because look, the fact is, you're going to get some NIL money. If you're, if you're a very good football player, you're going to get some NIL money no matter where you go. But it's what you do once you get on campus that ultimately creates your NIL value. That's the difference in brand value and roster value. I've told you those terms are coming. Now you're seeing more people use them. Brand value. You create that for yourself once you're on their platform. Once you're playing on the networks that they have media rights deals with. That's where your NIL value comes from. It's not how much a furniture company will pay you because you're a 12th grader and they want you to come to the school that they're a partner with. That's, I know it sounds like a lot. I know when someone puts $35,000 in front of you, I know that sounds like a lot of money. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying ultimate to what your end goal should be. It is not the end all be all. That should not tilt the seesaw, in other words. That is, as Meemaw would say, being penny wise, pound foolish. Bam. Next up. Uh, Auburn Tiger 89 from Greenville, South Carolina. What do you see as the biggest threat to college football? What do you see as the most overblown college football controversy? Well, I'm going to go backwards here. The most overblown college football controversy is length of game. We just dealt with this. We just had. We just had the high-level suits come in the room and say, we're here to rescue college football. Oh, finally. What are you guys going to do? Redefine the targeting rule? No, 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 no. What are you here to do then? Oh, we are here to take plays out of games. Excuse me? I wait all year for this. What do you mean? Yeah, well, well, listen, Simpleton. You just stand over there and you clap for us like the seal that you are. We are here to make sure that less plays happen per game so that we can maximize our profitability and we can maximize ad revenue. And it's a crisis. It's a crisis. People are freaking out because these games are too long. And you look to your left, you look to your right and say, what people? Not my people. And they say, trust us. People are freaking out. We've got to do this. They never sell it to you the way I just described. They never sell it to you as, hey, we've got to, we've got to fix the game just because we want to make more money. We've got to fix the game because we screwed up we shoved too many commercial breaks in the games. Now it's spilling over the broadcast window and we can't go back in time and take away those media deals. So we got to shorten the games. Sorry, they don't say that, do they? They manufactured the crisis to address the issue. And the crisis was all of a sudden, you got, you got 38 Twitter bots out there simultaneously saying, these games are so long, I can't stand it. Now, if they go off the air at 329, I'm okay with it. But 337? Absolutely not. No one, hardly anyone said that. And like I said the other day, if one person was saying that, a thousand people were saying, shut up to that one person that was saying that. So that was the most manufactured crisis. That was the most overblown controversy because it wasn't one. But don't worry, they solved it. They are great at solving controversies that don't exist, in case you haven't noticed. 
But the other question was, what's the biggest threat to college football? Um, this is going to be a little broad, but the biggest threat to college football is Saturday not being the center of the sport anymore. Those of you who have followed me for a while understand what I mean when I say that. You listening for the first time probably even understand what I mean when I say that. Uh, it's a fear of mine. It's something that I've always been concerned with, and that is with all the change happening in the sport. I'm not a, I'm not anti-change guy. I'm not against change. I don't think all change is bad. I think some of it's bad. I think some of it's good. You can't look at all change as progress. It's got to be judged on a case-by-case basis. And some of, the, some of the concern I've had for a little while, here comes that word, frankly, since the playoff was instituted, really, was the, the disproportionate amount of focus that was put on the playoff. I was not anti-playoff when we got it at all. Uh, but what I became anti of, if that's correct, I became anti-coverage of the playoff, I guess. Now, to their credit, ESPN, that is, the, that is the entity that has owned the playoff contract, they've come out in recent years and said, yeah, we went way overboard on that. And they've rolled it back. You used to see advertisements, who's in? It's like a week three game between Iowa State and Kansas. And, and they're asking, who's in? Like, what are you talking about? These teams over under win totals are like five and a half. Can I just watch the game? No, we got to talk about who's in. What impact does this have on the playoff? So they did that. And they did it to the point where it sucked all of the oxygen out of the room. And they, they convinced people, not them alone, but that mentality convinced people that, well, what matters the most is the playoff. And therefore, we now ascribe value to a football game in the regular season based on the playoff ramifications that it has on it. Now, if you're an NFL fan, that model makes sense to you because that's what pro sports are. That is not what college football has always been because college football was never built on an equitable foundation like the NFL was built on. And what I mean by that is very simply, the NFL is a football league. There's not anything else it does. It's just football teams in different cities, they're all given equal payroll structure. They're all given equal draft accessibility. They play by the same rules. Even though there are different conferences, everything is built to push everyone to the middle, which is great. That's one model that works. That's not college football. College football is universities that existed for a long time with no athletic structure. And then they once upon a time said, we think we want to have sports. And some of them decided it in 1903. And some of them decided it in 1968. And some of them exist in different portions of the country where we don't have a draft model. We have a recruiting model. So you can go get more athletes because you live near Florida and they're in Idaho. And yet then in the name of structure and organization, someone came along and said, oh, who cares about all that? We're just going to lump all of them in and we're going to call it FBS. Well, that's stupid because it's ludicrous to suggest that 100 and whatever we have now, 34, I think, 134 teams are all playing the same caliber of the sport. That's stupid. But then the playoff came along and all that stuff got ignored. You're watching a, a Coastal Carolina App State game and they're running who's in commercials. And if that game in your mind does not carry playoff ramifications on it, all of a sudden it's, it's a less meaningful game. It didn't used to be that way. So anyway, 
I, I went a long way around the mountain of saying, that's what started taking a little bit of the focus off Saturday. Because you might not believe this. If you're 23 years old, you might not believe this. But once upon a time, people in Boone, North Carolina, would go to that Coastal Carolina App State game, and there was no playoff to talk about. And it wouldn't matter if they were, if they were 9-0 and or if they were 6-3. and Just that Saturday is what mattered. That Saturday. That's it. That, it was like its whole world. These individual Saturdays were like 12 little worlds that you lived in. And no one was there talking about how, well, if we, if we win this game and, and we really run it up by 31, like what, what, will the, what will the committee think about it? Screw the committee. The committee didn't exist. It was just about Saturday. That's what made college football different. And we, we used to not listen to the people that said, hey, hey, you people on Saturday, you need to get with the program. Haven't you seen the way the NBA does it? Haven't you seen the way the NFL does it? It used to be that you would look at them and laugh, nod your head, and then lean back into your Saturday group and go, can you believe those people? Oh, couldn't be us. And you enjoyed it. And then some of those people worked their way into our world, started to reverse engineer it or re-engineer it, and it's been successful. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's burning down to the ground, but I am saying since you asked what the biggest threat is, the biggest threat to the sport is allowing it not to look like college football anymore, allowing it not to look like a sport that revolves around Saturdays with the postseason being like a cherry on top. That postseason should orbit around Saturdays, not the other way around. If you want it the other way around, I have great news for you. There are plenty of other options. It should not be college football. It should never be that way. Next up. Trey, in Deer Park, Texas, do you think Steve Sarkeesian's approach to the transfer portal is the best way for top programs to manage their roster, i.e. not letting players return once they enter the portal? Uh, I had a little league coach once upon a time who told me, I don't have a ton of rules. Now, it was a very militaristic organization, our little league team, the Catala Mudcats. We all got drafted as nine-year-olds, and we all uh, took a 1-15 in record our nine-year-old year. The next three years, we won the league, and we, we ended up doing some things that teams from Harris County don't really do because we knew how to play. Well, ironically, it was not a team with a ton of rules. And yet, we, like I said, we, we operated almost in a militaristic fashion. We ran bases a certain way. We warmed up a certain way. We carried ourselves a certain way. Uh, and, and the reason was because of just inherent fear of the coaches. Even though it never had to be exhibited, it never had to be demonstrated on us. Uh, one of those coaches being my father should be noted. And so, anyway... One of those coaches, my father, one day told me when we were driving home from practice, he said, I don't have a lot of rules on the team. You don't ever hear me give these rules and say, now, if you do this or you do that, then this is going to happen. And he said, do you know why that is? Because I think something had happened uh, with, with another team in the league. I can't remember what it was, but I'll tell you exactly what it was. A kid went on spring break, and that coach had had a rule that if their players go on spring break, then they're not playing the rest of the year, something like that. It wasn't on our team. It was someone else's team. It was something like that to where 
they did they didn't change the schedule. Now in Little League up there, they they just give you the week off that coincides with the spring break for the public education system. Well, anyway, he said, you know why I don't have a lot of those rules? Because you have to enforce them when you have them. He said the best way to avoid getting yourself in a mess is to have as, as few rules as possible, but have a great culture. Because if you have a great culture, you don't have to define every single rule. Guys just go about their business the right way. But if you do have a lot of those rules, someone's going to break them. And the worst thing you can do is have a bunch of these rules and then one of your best players breaks the rule because what are you going to do? At that point, what kind of corner have you voluntarily backed yourself into as a coach? To a certain extent, this stuff is unavoidable, but to a much larger extent, it is avoidable. And the other thing you see sometimes is when a backup will do something, like let's say a backup breaks curfew you suspend him for the next two weeks because you really want to flex that authoritarian muscle. Well, that's all well and good, but when you're starting wide receiver that has 1,100 receiving yards already by week eight, does the same thing the next week, what do you do? Because you're certainly not going to suspend him for the next two weeks, but you kind of have to because you already set the rule, you set the precedent. So I am saying all that to build up to this. Steve Sarkeesian has a policy that if you go in the transfer portal, you're gone. Whether you find another home or not, you're gone. That's okay. If that is the stance he wants to take, I'm fine with it. What I think I would do is I may have that policy like internally. I, I don't know if I would stay. I don't know. To each his own. I don't know if I would state it publicly because what I do, if I don't state it publicly, I still reserve the right to not take you back. Like, I still reserve that right. But what I also can do is, like, if Xavier Worthy were to all of a sudden randomly pop up in the portal and then come to me three days later and say, hey, I changed my mind. I don't want to be in the portal. I do not want to look at Xavier Worthy in the eye and say, too bad. You're out of here. Already cleaned your locker out. He's my best receiver. I don't want to do that. So, yeah, it's, it's always fun to be heavy-handed. And like I said, if this is Sark's approach, it's his approach. And if he sticks to it, and I have no reason to believe he won't, he'll stick to it. I think also it's a lot safer to have this policy at Texas where you're probably going to be a transfer portal destination for good players more so than, than your best players leaving. You know, maybe, maybe, Texas, maybe like Texas State or North Texas is a worse place to have this policy. But yeah, I, I, it's interesting. Everybody's policy is different right now. You got Dabo's policy of just rarely doing it, period. You got Sark's policy of if you go in, you're not coming back. You got other guys that really don't have public policies. And even then, you don't know what they're telling guys behind the scenes. Um, so who knows, man? Policy is a funny thing. And also, to go back to the Little League story right quick. So we, we were playing that team because we had two teams in our same little community. Uh, and then, and then the, we were under the overarching Harris County Little League uh, sort of umbrella. And we just completely skull-dragged that team. They beat us up the first year, and we skull-dragged them the next three years. It culminated in a 42-3 to win that season. Uh, and frankly, I, oh, frankly again, I don't think that kid was worth 39 runs, but it was a, it was a tough scene either way. Policies. Ugh. I got a policy not to do this, but I do it anyway. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hate I have to do it. I don't really hate it. I'm, I'm lying to you. I look forward to that about as much as anything we do in this podcast. If you're new around here, yeah, everybody has ad breaks, but no one tries to dive bomb you with them quite like I do. It is a tradition unlike much else. There probably is something else out there like it. I'm not going to steal the master's quote, but you get the picture. It's a little, little different vibe around here. There's almost a challenge taken on by the audience, by the listenership, by the Pate State community to sense when it's coming. Some of you say you can sense it. I don't know how that's possible because I intentionally decide spur of the moment. Mac is next up from Salina, Kansas. Done some storm chasing out there. He said, what did you think of the game day atmosphere in Manhattan last fall? And how far can the Wildcats go next fall? I did make my first ever trip to the state of Kansas for a football game last year. I went up to Kansas State. If you'll, if you'll remember this on the Every Given Saturday tour, we went to Oklahoma State versus Kansas State. The line on the game was, I believe it was K-State minus one and a half. Either way, it was one and a half. Uh, this was a game where we didn't know whether Adrian Martinez was going to be able to start or not. And I think that he did not start. Uh, so K-State ends up starting a backup. And so you think to yourself, oh, man, this is Oklahoma State shot right here. And the final score was like half a hundred to nothing. It was the, the worst obliteration by a mile that we've ever experienced on our tour, on all of our travels, because we get to pick the game we go to every week. So we don't pick blowouts. <laughs> Ironically, the, the only bigger blowout I have seen, I can't believe that this is a true story, but the only other bigger blowout I've seen than Kansas State, Oklahoma State, was the national title game. That's the only bigger blowout. And I, I have chronicled, I think I chronicled where I viewed that game from. I did not even stay on the field. We went up to a, we went up to a place that normally would be reserved for management. You don't find me in the luxury sections very often, but hey. We had a lot of big names up there, and we were invited, so we went. But other than that, I was on the field for all of the K-State massacre of Oklahoma State, and that's also the day that afterwards I went to Mike Gundy's press conference. 99 times out of 100, I would have gone to Kleiman's presser because he's the winning coach. But it was so thorough of a body bagging that I had to go hear what Mike Gundy was going to say. And, and sure enough, it was memorable because he said, we did some things in practice this week that made us unprepared to play the game. I did not have us in a place where we were ready to play this game. And they started asking him more, what do you mean? And basically what he said 
was, he did not outright say this, but what he suggested is he kept guys out of practice that week. Healthy players he kept out of practice because he was scared they would get hurt. And as a result, they weren't ready to play the game, and it showed. Never heard a coach say that before. I can't tell you they've never done it. I can tell you I've never heard them say it afterwards. And he said it, uh, and it was bad. It was really bad. So, but you asked about the atmosphere. So I got there the day before, and I toured, and we've got, we got some really, really good friends inside the program there. And I learned a lot about the program. There are some, there's one particular very unique aspect of Kansas State's weight room and their strength and conditioning area that I love. And I don't think I'm supposed to talk about it, so I won't. But it's not, it's not weight related. It has nothing to do with a dumbbell or a squat rack or anything like that. But there's a thing they have in there. And um, I forget whether they told me I could talk about it or not. A lot of these places want to keep their, their stuff proprietary and private. So I'll keep it to myself. But man, I would use that thing every day if I was there. And also, I remember the pregame, I always am fascinated. Maybe this is just the way my mind works. I'm always fascinated by how big Saturday is everywhere. So that sounds normal, right? That sounds like a common sense statement. What I mean is, if you're on campus at, at Texas A&M, if you're on campus at Ohio State, Clemson, the, the big programs that you always see plastered in front of your face, yes, you know that there are large swaths of people at those places every Saturday. But what's so beautiful about college football, and if you really live this, you kind of get you kind of get the chill bump effect on your arms when you start thinking about it, is there are people all over the country doing that in like a hundred different towns. The, the tailgate experience, driving to the game, like meeting up with buddies that you see eight Saturdays a year, and that's it. Because you're, you know, you're you've kind of got that family associated with the tailgate culture and the season ticket culture, whatever. Well, when I was in Manhattan, like that's that's the scene. And and the thing about it is, if you're at an LSU game, you're you're so wrapped up in in your here and now, you're so wrapped up in your experience, you're it's not even it's not even processing in your mind that what I'm doing right here on campus, uh, 300 yards away from Tiger Stadium, they're doing this exact same thing in Manhattan, Kansas. And then there are people at at Nichols State, uh, there are people at Arizona. There are people at Washington State. They're all doing the same thing. And even though you're not there, you can rest assured if they have a home game, you don't have to have surveillance footage. You know that all that's happening simultaneously. Really a beautiful thing. That may not mean anything to some of you. I think it means a lot to a lot more of you. And I, I hate that it wasn't a closer game. I know you guys love that blowout, but I hate it wasn't a closer game because I think Kansas State's kind of like Iowa State. And I've I told you the story about Iowa State before. I grew up down in Georgia, and these places might as well have been on Jupiter to me. I was never going to be able to make it there. I mean, I could, I could barely even get up to a Georgia or a Georgia Tech game or an Auburn game. So I thought of those, games, those places as far away, and it's this, this other world. But I remember I would watch Iowa State and Kansas State, and I always thought, I know those stadiums aren't as big as the Big Ten and the SEC stadiums that I see all the time, but it really sounds crazy there. Like, the volume on my TV is not adjusted. It sounds crazy. So I finally got to an Iowa State game a couple of years ago. Finally got to a Kansas State game last year. The problem is neither one of them were back and forth, like nip and tuck, four-quarter affairs. 
So I didn't get to experience either one of those places, like really just at full throat for four quarters. So my, my journeys are incomplete. Everything I expected, like everything I could have wanted, I got. Perfect weather up there, too. Perfect weather the time that we were there. But I got to go back. I got to go back. I think they're going to be good for a while, so I'll be able to. I got to go back and see a Kansas State game where it's, it's tied midway through the fourth quarter. Then I want to hear Bill Snyder Family Stadium. That'd be really fun. All right. Uh, I got a question here that's, that's interesting. Really interesting. I got to be careful with it. <clears throat> there you see, and that's a cough to kill time. This question does not come from one of you. This question came from several of you. And the question is, what do you think about guys leaving your network? What do you think about these guys moving on from 24-7 sports to on three or rivals or wherever people go? Um, now, this is the time of year where this happens. This is not unique. Everyone in our business structures contracts to where they expire in the spring or the summer. Mine's the same way. It just doesn't expire this year, so, so rest easy. Unless you want me gone, in which case you're going to have to wait uh, at least a year. But I think it's great. That's what I think. Till most recently, you've seen, for example, Rusty Manziel, who was long time, Dogs 24-7 Rusty Manziel, he moved over to On3. Rusty's a very good friend of mine. I followed Rusty before I ever came here. Um, Rusty's been very influential and very great to me when I've been here. I talk to him about a lot of football, about a lot of non-football. A great and valuable insight he'll give, and some of it's off the record. A lot of it I can use on the record. But there is a misnomer out there, I guess, that, that when someone works at your company and then they go somewhere that some would define as your rival, you're supposed to not like them anymore, or it's supposed to be viewed as all of a sudden they're your competition. You can view things however you want to. I tell our staff all the time, we don't have competition in our market, we don't have, comp we are our competition, okay? When we structure our show, when we build a late kick, when we want to do a college football, digital media production, podcast, video, etc., it doesn't matter if there are 100 other shows out there like us or there is one. We want to meet a standard. We're, we got blinders on. You're not looking to the left and right and, uh-oh, guys, they're, they're getting ahead of us. Let's put our foot down a little bit. If that's the way you think, you've already lost. Okay, so the reason I say that is I couldn't care less where these dudes work. And if they're my friends, I want them to go where they can get the best situation for themselves and their family. And the other part of that is if it means another company prospers, that's wonderful. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because as Meemaw said, a high tide raises all boats unless the boat is leaky, in which case the boat has problems. Like, if you've you got, you got a sound ship, you should want a high tide. It's a great thing. Uh, and, and as many quality people as you can have in your industry, whether they work for you or not, that's a good thing because it brings better shine to your industry, which ultimately brings more people to your industry. So when I watch a Shea Dixon or Jake Rowe or a Rusty Manziel, when I, and that's not an exhaustive list, when I watch those guys leave and go somewhere else, I am happy for them. Told them all that already uh, in person. So I'm happy for them. When we see someone come here, I'm happy for them. And I can guarantee you this. Those dudes feel the same way because I know all of them. So I, I look around and I laugh 
externally. I laugh in people's faces when they get concerned about these sorts of things. They start chewing their fingernails. Dude, root for them. I, I always draw this back to pro wrestling. I draw it back to when I was a young, young, impressionable youth. Young and youth are redundant, but follow me. And I'm watching the Monday Night Wars. And I'm watching a thriving WWF. And I'm watching a thriving WCW. And it's great. And the remote's just getting worn out, back and forth, back and forth. Then all of a sudden, Vince buys WCW. And the competition's gone. And the most entertaining era of pro wrestling is gone with it. Those things didn't just coincide in happenstance. There was a reason for it. There's something that competition in the market does. And simultaneously, I look at our industry and I think to myself, that's really a good thing. I wouldn't care if another company jumped up tomorrow and started scaling and building. That's, that's all the best. That's all well and good for me. Um, I don't, I don't, I just, I guess I don't view competition the same way. I'm all for it. All for it. Because I know it's not going to change what we do regardless. And if it does, then I, look, I'd, I'd, I'd open the hood a little bit. And I check and see, do I need to rewire some things about myself? Uh, because it's not the way it should be. So that's the way I feel about it. Uh, there, you, you'll always see that stuff happening in spring. It will always happen. And I think it's a good thing. Ted, next up from Montgomery, Alabama. What do you hear from coaches off the record about Deion Sanders? Who, Ted? A lot. A whole lot. Just yesterday, I was talking to two coaches about this. A lot of coaches don't like Deion Sanders. I'm just going to be real with you. I do. I find myself on the phone a lot of times defending Deion Sanders, kind of given the, given the counterpoint to the point that some coaches are making to me. And it's never the same thing. So some coaches don't like uh, his, his brash, in-your-face style to the players. To which I say, you guys have done some of the same stuff. You just didn't have a camera crew following you. But I digress. And that's nothing I hadn't said to these coaches. I promise you. Other coaches don't like how aggressive he's been in the portal. And there will be allegations sometimes that you're recruiting guys into the portal. To which I also say, uh, whomst amongst us, you know, whomst amongst you. And then there's a third element where I think their real problem is just jealousy. And then they, they mask it as, well, I've really got a problem with A, B, or C. No, D or J. J is your problem. Jealousy is your real problem. So... There is a lot of distaste right now in the coaching community for Deion Sanders. There are a lot of folks rooting for him to fail. That's what I hear from coaches. Now, I would never give you names, but that's what I hear from some coaches. Now, there are, there are a few. I would put him in the minority, but there are a few who are pulling for him. There are a few who look at it and say, hey, man, he's a change agent. And it'd be hypocritical to look at him and be mad at that when... Some of the other coaches I talked to have tried to change things in their own unique way. But the thing about it is everyone's going to find out at the same time. And if, what's, if what Dion's doing is working, then, uh, well, if what he's doing is working, it's going to reinvent college football in a lot of ways. Uh, because all of a sudden, what you thought you couldn't do, all of a sudden you can do now. But a lot of coaches look at what he's doing right now and they say, well, it's one thing to go get all those players. It's another thing to create a team. They're not wrong about that. I'm not disagree. I don't disagree on the record or off the record with them about that. But 
a lot of them think that it's this science experiment that's going to fail horrifically in Boulder, and you're going to get in all these pieces, but can you gel them? Can you build a team instead of a, a roster of individuals? And that is not easy to do. I don't think Dion's ever said it is. That's why I also, on our end, I've, I've tried to temper expectations for the win-loss record in year one. Uh, and that's also why I have warned you ahead of time. They're gonna be, there's going to be an army of people. Whenever they lose games this fall, going to be an army of people out there who are very, very quick to get to the nearest microphone. And they're going to be saying things and writing things and broadcasting things about how, well, maybe this wasn't so popular. Maybe this isn't working out. Well, guys, they won't all be coming up with that on their own. They're going to have sources in their ear. And a lot of those sources are going to be a, a DB's coach from a Big Ten school or a wide receiver coach from a Pac-12 school or a head coach from an SEC school texting them saying, see what I meant? See what I meant? Told you. You guys were all over him. We told you how it would happen. And then those media entities will be the conduit and you will get those anonymous coaches' messages delivered to you. It will just sound like a reporter who's doing it. That is coming. I hear from them all the time and I'm happy to listen to them. Our, our network of coaches that I talk to is very extensive. It is, uh, I rely on them heavily. I always tell them, if you hear me say something wrong, hit me up, and boy, do they. And with Dion, they have listened to me talk about him, and I have had no shortage of coaches who are happy to get on the phone or, or get in my DMs on Twitter and say, hey, uh, let me give you my point of view on this. I'm happy to listen. Happy to listen, and you guys may very well be right, and I may very well be wrong. I always appreciate the feedback. Happy to listen, but I'd be lying if I told the, the question or the asker of this question that everyone was just sunshine and rainbows pulling for him behind the scenes. They're not. They're not all pulling for him behind the scenes. Oh, uh, next up. Oh, this hit a lot of people where it hurts. Johnson City, Tennessee, uh, Ryan asked, what is your take on the Ole Miss family who spent four grand to see Morgan Wallen cancel a show? Well, I would say that it does not cost $4,000 to see Morgan Wallen in Oxford, Mississippi. That's what I would say. It doesn't cost four grand to see Taylor Swift. I know because I am fascinated with the ticket market. And I, I was talking to someone last night, unrelated note. It's funny how, it's funny how things morph in the entertainment world. Uh, this person was telling me they once went to, I think it was a Delta party on the campus of Virginia, I want to say. And Taylor Swift was there playing to 50 people. And she just like thought it was the best thing in the world that 50 people were there listening to her. And now she does multi-night sellouts in major stadiums. She'll be at Nissan next week. So anyway, uh, that stuff, I, I'm always fascinated by that. Morgan Wallen goes and plays in Oxford and has to cancel his show a couple of weeks ago in case you missed that news. And the thing about it was not that he canceled it. That's happened before. He canceled it like right before the show. Everyone's already there. And all of a sudden on the big screen, it says, yeah, I lost my voice. Show is canceled. Sorry. Here's how the refund process works. Well, somebody took to Twitter and demanded a refund. Not for the tickets. They demanded a refund for everything they claimed they spent. So you had the hotels. You had the tickets. You had food, concessions and, and whatnot. You had merch. And they wanted refunds for their outfits, and the dude claimed he paid $212 for his outfit. What? Like, what? What? So anyway, 
I'm not quite sure Morgan Wallen's camp responded to that, but I will say that this is always what I have thought about. Like the, the main reason I am not a rock star is I am terrified I would just lose my voice every spring. That is really all that is standing between me and being on the top of the, the Hot 100 charts right now in the, in the music world. That's it, guys. That's all that is standing between me and that is I know what allergies do to me and I, I would be terrified because you have to tour in the spring and summer. You have to tour. It's a non-starter. And I just, I can't imagine waking up one morning feeling like I feel right now. I'm struggling to talk. You hear how nasally I sound? I'm struggling to talk. If I had to sing tonight and then I had to sing again tomorrow night, oh, I don't know how people do it. So I, I respect them. I think probably you need to let people know you're canceling your show a little bit before the countdown to, to showtime starts, yes. But no, you're not getting a refund. On anything other than tickets, you're not getting a refund. Sorry. It, like, the concert promoter is not controlling gas prices and your wardrobe. That's just not the way this works. Next up, Seth from Woodlands, Texas. He said, is Miami versus Texas A&M last year a perfect example of ranked at the time being perceived worthless at the end of the season. So I've been talking about this a lot. And Seth has a good point. So here's the backstory. Texas, A&M, and Miami played last year. I think they were both ranked, and, and A&M may have even been ranked in the top 10 at the time. So then we come to find out they're both terrible. Neither one of them's ranked at the end of the year. So the question would be, Okay, well, A&M won that day. Did they get a ranked win? Did Miami lose to a ranked team? Should we define it at the time, or should we wait to the end of the year? In this case, it's the exception to the rule, to my rule, and that is, no, neither one of them should have been considered ranked. This flies in the face of what I think the norm should be, though. So what Seth's asking me for is because I say, I don't like you going back in time and retroactively devaluing wins. I don't mind if you go back in time and add value. So if you play, if you play Pate State and you beat us and we're unranked in week two, but then Pate State doesn't lose another game and we go 11-1, and one, you should absolutely consider yourself having won over a ranked team in week two. I don't have a problem with that. But what I do have a problem with, and I've gone over this a thousand times, is if you play Pate State in week two, and we're ranked number four, and you beat us, and, and you knock out my left tackle and my starting safety in the process of beating me, and also there, there leads to some infighting because of how poorly you made us look, and then we've got bad locker room vibes the rest of the year, and we end up losing three more games, you caused that. So you should not be punished. You should not have people coming back to you three months down the road saying that when you thought you had over a top five team, well, they're barely ranked now. Or actually, they fell out of the top 25. So we're going to take that ranked win away from you. I hate that because you are the reason, or you could very well have been the reason for the tumble. So I've always been a fan of defining the value of the win when it happens or defining the value of the loss when it happens. And then maybe a case-by-case basis going back and redefining it. But by and large, I want it to be crystallized the day it happens, which is where I think Vegas comes into play because they're a lot better about defining the power of a team, power rating 
instead of just ranking teams based on wins and losses. And they're also very good at understanding things that happened after that game could be attributed to what happened that Saturday. And also, if you lose half a dozen starters later in the year, you're not the same team I played earlier in the year. All of these things factor into the equation. I had some questions left, but you know what? I'm going to roll them over to next week because we were so loaded that we have overflow. But I appreciate you guys for doing the job for me. Uh, for Junior Director Bradley in there, for Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Make sure you please subscribe to the channel and subscribe to the pod, I guess, since we're on the podcast today. Subscribe to the pod. That's all I ask. Humbly as always. Thank you. Until Thursday night, that's when we'll do a late kick live on the YouTube channel. Take care. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. You.